Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing wonderful, my brothers and sisters, and thank you so much for joining us here again for another Always More Wednesday, an episode where we pause from our main series and talk about uh, just new insights or things that we've talked about in the past. And today we're to be we're going to be talking about an easy way to explain or to summarize uh, our Catholic faith. And we're going to be talking about um, different parts of what we've already talked about through the main series that we've had and the previous episodes that we've had, whether it's an Always More Wednesday or on the main series. Um, so today is just a nice, easy summary that I hope will help us uh, as Catholics to be able to articulate our faith in a summarized way, in an easy way, um, but also in a beautiful way. And so it's an easy way to summarize. So I'll summarize what we're talking about, but then we'll kind of go in and pick apart each one. So uh, to summarize our Catholic faith, what we're going to be talking about today is our identity. So like who we say we are um, in Jesus, our identity. Um, we're going to be talking about the, our act, the actual practice of our faith. So such as like the life of the church and the sacraments and, uh, and just like the life of the church. We're going to be talking about morality. We're going to be talking about the root and the foundation. Um, which really builds off of what we are going to be talking about when we talk about faith and morals. Um, and then we're going to be talking about the form that our life has as Christians, as Catholics, and um, the very life that we live. And then what's the purpose and destiny for to be a Catholic Christian? What's the purpose and the destiny as a Christian? So those are the six points that we'll be talking about today. And also, this will be uh, the summary that I'm about to share will be in the show notes. So go ahead and take a screenshot, keep it with you on your phone, or just to be able to uh, let this so- soak yourself into this summary, which I think is going to be extremely helpful to even understand our own faith and our own identity in Jesus um, and things of that nature of being uh, in the Catholic faith. And so we're going to hop right into these six points. So the very first one, identity. An easy way to summarize it is what Jesus is by nature, we are by grace through faith. The second one, faith. And what we mean by faith is just the life of the church, such as the sacraments. Like, why do we have a church? Why do we have uh, the priesthood? Why do we have baptism, the Eucharist, all of these things? And it's precisely because typology. Typology just means everything in the Old Testament and the Old Covenants are fulfilled and transformed into the, the New Covenant. So the life of the church, the very faith, the practice of our faith is typology. Whatever is in the old is revealed and fulfilled and transformed in the new covenant. The third point, morality. Morality, easy summary of this is every single human action are ordered towards a certain purpose and it ends. So it's the natural law. Every human action is ordered towards a purpose and an ends. The fourth point, which is more so just what's the foundation of our faith in the morals, and it's covenant and family, covenant and family. And obviously we'll talk more about that once we get there, but it's really covenant and family is the root and the foundation of our faith. And then the, the fifth point is the form or the very life of the, of the Christian faith. It's to be united in truth and our lives animated by God's, by love which is only by union with Jesus and a participation in God's divine life, which is love itself. And then the sixth point is the purpose and the destiny. The purpose and destiny of the Christian life is glorification and divinization. 
what God promises all of us. And this is why we uphold Mary, because she is a beautiful example of this. And this is when we can lift up Mary and the saints is to be glorified and divinized in Jesus's grace. And so now we're going to be picking apart through this. So again, it's identity, faith, morals, the root and the foundation, the form and the life, and the purpose and destiny. So first, identity. What Jesus is by nature, we are by grace through faith. So first and foremost, Jesus is by his very nature, a the eternal divine son of God. And from that, when he takes on human flesh, he lifts up our humanity. He doesn't change his divinity. He lifts up our humanity when he assumes our human flesh. By nature, by who he is, he is a son. He is the high priest. He is the king. He is the prophet. He is the lamb of God. He is the true temple and he is the Passover and he is the all, all of these things. And whatever Jesus is by nature, we are by grace. So by grace, which means that is not on our own. It is not in our nature to be these ways. Like just us on ourselves are not these things. But by grace, when Jesus assumed his human flesh and by faith, so through faith in Jesus, not by by works of the Mosaic law or anything that we have to earn it. It's by our faith. It's by grace through faith. And so by grace through faith, we become everything that Jesus is. So this is why we love looking at the life of Jesus because he shows and models to us what he desires for us to be, which is out of intimacy by this grace, we are also called children of God. That is a very unique Christian thing is that we call God father and we call ourselves sons and daughters of God. And so we are children of God. We are also priest, prophet, and king. We are also temples of the Holy Spirit. We are also the Lamb of God, the Lambs of God. Um, and so through this this one flesh union, um, and that's what St. Paul says, is that we are actually, we become one flesh So because Jesus is the divine bridegroom and he's also revealed God as Father. So we become one flesh uh, beautifully in baptism that he talks about, St. Paul in Ephesians 5. Um, we become one flesh with Jesus. And so we're united to him and we become adopted sons and daughters and priests, prophet and king and temples of the Holy Spirit and lambs of God. And so the very life of Jesus becomes our life too. He lives his life, passion, death and resurrection in us. And so it's a life marked with intimacy with Jesus. As in the mass, we say that he who humbled himself to share in our humanity so that we may share in his divinity. And so we become partakers of the divine nature by intimacy. As St. Paul says, it's Christ who lives in me. And that St. John says, he who lives and abides in us is greater than he who lives in the world, talking about fallen angels. And so it's the very life of God in us by grace through faith that we live. So that's our identity is intimate children of God who are taken care of at all times by their uh, by their father and united to Jesus, the divine bridegroom. And so that's a summary of our identity. And there's so much more there. And we talked about this in past episodes and we will continue always talking about it in this podcast. But um, that's our identity in a summary format. What about the faith, the life of the church, such as the sacraments? Well, why do we have that? And it's precisely because everything in the Old Testament as the book of Hebrews says, is the letter to the Hebrews, it says that everything in the old covenant was just a mere shadow. And now the reality has come. So everything in the Old Testament, as St. Augustine said, everything in the Old Testament, everything concealed in the old is revealed in the new. So not only is it revealed in the new, fulfilled in the new, but it's transformed in the new covenant, which is all fulfilled in Jesus. And so even just think about the life of Jesus for a second. As St. Jerome said, 
when he says that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. When he said that, he was reading he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And so knowing the Old Testament really does put on the Jewish Messiah face of of Christ. And so in what he came up, what he brought in. Um, and because he says salvation is from the Jews. And so and he became to fulfill the law. <clears throat> And so Jesus, he is, think about the old covenants, and there's so much more in this, but this is just a sketch again. He is the new Adam. He is the fulfillment of the promise of Noah's family. He is the fulfillment of Abraham's, the promise to Abraham. He's the new Moses. He's the new King David. He's the new son of, of David, which is King Solomon. And he's also the fulfillment of all the prophetic uh, writings. He's uh, He's the fulfillment of the tabernacle and the temple. He is the fulfillment of the lamb that uh, God promised to give to Abraham and also given to as the Passover lamb when he gave to Moses and the Israelites to lead them from slavery out of Egypt and then to the promised land. And so he's the fulfillment of all of these things. And so Jesus, as the true new Adam, who is the head of the family, and he's also the true king, and he's the son of David. And because of these things, he ushers in a new Israel. This is what St. Paul calls the church, is the new Israel. He brings in the kingdom. And so when he brings that kingdom in, guess what he does? He gives the keys of the kingdom to, to Peter, which is a direct fulfillment of what the king did over the kingdom of David. He gave it to the prime minister who would be the steward of the kingdom. He would be the steward of the keys, which gave him the 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 right to have authority over the entire kingdom of God's people. And then he gave the per, the power to bind and to loose to the rest of the 12 apostles. And these 12 apostles represented the 12 tribes. And just he fulfills and he tells the apostles towards the end of his, his, uh, his life um, was to fulfill a, a, a psalm, a prophetic psalm is that they would sit on the 12 tribes of sit on the 12 tribes of Israel to judge the, the all Israel. And so, and he gives them the, the power to bind and loose, which is rabbinic Jewish language to say, here is the power to interpret, to bind things that are in the law and the interpretation of, of the law in the new covenant, and also to loosen these laws of the new covenant. And so he ushers in this new kingdom that will unite the lost tribes of Israel and bring in the Gentiles as the prophetic uh, writings talk about how the, it'll be a blessing to all the nations and in Isaiah that he'll bring in the the Gentiles into the graft of this of Israel. And so it's for every single person. And so to be in this kingdom. And he prays in John 17. This is why he is called the high priestly prayer is because he is modeling exactly what the high priest would do once a year going into the Holy of Holies. What would he do? He'd pray to God for himself. Then he'd pray for all the other priests and then he would pray for the people. And this is exactly what we see Jesus doing in John 17. He prays for himself. Then he prays for the apostles and then he prays for the people who will believe through the word of the apostles. And so you see here Jesus clearly setting up him as the high priest and his apostles acting as priests to offer the the sacrifice, which is a sacrifice of bread and wine, which is exactly what was offered by the high priest Melchizedek before the time of Abraham, who brought, offered bread and wine. And he was the king priest of Jerusalem. And Jesus is the true king and priest of Jerusalem, the, the city of peace. And so he ushers all of this in to fulfill the Davidic kingdom and the priesthood of Melchizedek and this beautiful priesthood that will be an, uh, 
the eternal offering of the body and blood of Jesus for our salvation. And so, uh, and again, we know that in a sacrifice, the death would happen once, but the offering continues with Jesus. He's continually offering us and he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so in the mass that he has given us, he fulfills all of that. And so that leads us to the Eucharist. Well, that is the fulfillment of what the what Adam and Eve symbolically ate that opened up their eyes and actually separated them from God. Now in Luke 24, it shows that the breaking of the bread in the Eucharist actually opens our eyes and that we can recognize the life of God. So he restores what was first fallen. So he un, He undoes the, the power of sin and he, by giving us life in the Eucharist. He's the fulfillment of the uh, old covenant uh, old covenant meals that which was always offered by an oath and then a sacrifice and then a meal and he continues to give us that in the new covenant an oath a sacrifice and a meal and it would be he also fulfills the the Passover meal and he is the Lamb of God where you had to eat the lamb in the Passover meal and then he is also the fulfillment of the manna from heaven that he directly attributes to himself and then he also fulfills the bread of the presence. And so there's the Eucharist. Well, why do we have baptism? Because it's the fulfillment of the very first creation when the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And so now in the new covenant, we are born of water and spirit and we are lifted up into the to the divine life of God and we become a new creation. And then it's also the fulfillment of how the family of Noah was saved through water. This is exactly what St. Peter talks about in his first letter. And then it's the fulfillment of how the Israelites were saved out of Egypt over the Red Sea. And it's the fulfillment of when Moses struck the rock and it became uh, became water. And so that's what they are baptized into. And St. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 10. And so, uh, and then passing over into the uh, Jordan, crossing of the, the Jordan River to into the promised land. And so we enter into that uh, into that promise through baptism. And so the sacraments are all fulfillments. The life of the church are all fulfillments of what was in the old covenant as a shadow is revealed, fulfilled, and transformed in the new covenant. And this is why we have Mama Mary, because again, just an easy sketch is that she's the new Eve. She is the new Rachel, the mother of Israel. She is the queen mother. She is the Ark of the Covenant. She is the new Esther, the new Judith. And so all of these things are because what Jesus is fulfilled in the new covenant transforms and lifts up every single thing that was a mere shadow in the old covenant. So um, we live in this beautiful life of in the fulfillment of the Jewish faith and the Catholic faith. And so the uh, summary of our Catholic faith and the practices of the, of the church is sacra- such as the sacraments is all typology, all fulfilled in the old, te- in the, all of the old Testament fulfilled, revealed and transformed. The third point is morality. All human actions are ordered towards certain purposes and ends. And this is what we call the natural law. It's not the natural law where we talk about like, well, what do animals do? No, that natural law is looking at the life around us, the world around us. And we can see that even scientifically, there is an order. And that's why uh, even science, it's based on and predicated on a philosophy that assumes that the world is based on cause and effects that have a certain order where it's not this chaotic thing. This is why we can observe the sciences. But also it's the very same principles that we live by every single day. We live by this principle where we know inherently that every single action that we do 
is ordered towards a certain purpose and it ends. Think about what I'm doing right now. I'm speaking and you're going to speak today. When you speak today, you're speaking for the for the order and the for the purpose and ends of speaking truth. And this is why people get so mad, frustrated, and rightly ticked off when people are lying. Why? Because it's contradictory to the very nature of speaking. Think about when uh, we eat, when we eat food. The very purpose and ends is for nutrition. This is why uh, when, if we throw it back up on purpose or do something else with it, it's disordered. And this is why when we use certain tools, we sit down or use our oven, our stove, our shower, if we use it for any other purpose than for what it's used for, it's being used in a disordered way. That's not supposed to be mean. That's just the reality because every single thing that we have is ordered towards a certain purpose. If you put water in your gas tank, it's not going to run because the gas tank in the car was made to run off of oil, off of gas. And so every single thing in our lives, every single day, the very principle that we have is every action that we have is has a purpose and an ends for which it's ordered towards. And so when it's thwarting that purpose, when it's contradictory to that purpose or that ends, then we know it's disordered and not right. <clears throat> and so we're simply using the principles that everybody uses to every single action. And this is why um, this is not just Catholic or Christian morality being imposed on anybody. It's a proposal to just continue, <laughs> continue the same principles that we all have and we're all living by. And so this is why also in the Catholic faith, we separate feelings from actions and we cannot, we cannot judge a person's heart or their intentions and their culpability because we don't know how someone's conscience is formed. And so we don't judge feelings because guess what? We believe that we live in a broken world where our passions and desires cannot dictate truth because uh, if everybody lived that way, then we would always just be able to lash out when we're mad. We'll be able to harm other people when we're upset at somebody. But no, those are not ways to have an ordered society or an ordered life. And so we can't have uh, that being our source of truth is our feelings, our passions, because we have broken passions and desires. And also our wills are weakened and our minds are darkened by original sin that we've inherited. And we can just see that throughout. And we know that we live under that power of of sin because we sometimes do the very things we don't want to do and we can't do the things that we want to do. And, and that's our broken human nature. And so we separate the feelings from the actions. And because if one person struggles with one feeling, another person is struggling with another. So just because I don't struggle with a particular sin or a particular feeling, I struggle with other certain things such as like pride and anger or envy or jealousy. Those are things that are not uh, good because they don't serve a natural and and purposeful ends for which uh, another person or myself is created for. But this is the very purpose of why we have morality in the Catholic faith and is just proposing everybody to live according to exactly what we're all, what we can observe and what we see is in, in human nature. Because every single action is ordered towards a certain purpose and ends. And this is why homosexual acts are disordered. That's why contraception is disordered. This is why adultery is disordered. This is why sex before marriage is disordered. This is why IVS, IVF is disordered. And many other things. Because every single action is geared towards a certain purpose and ends. And the sexual act, it's ordered towards the purpose and ends for a union and procreation. And when one of those two or both are not there, but we're using our sexual faculties trying to communicate a truth, we are therefore lying. 
because the sexual act becomes distorted and disordered. So each of those ends that we, all those things that we just mentioned are disordered because we're using our sexual faculties outside of the order for which it's intended for, which is union and procreation. And it's made up in our genetics, it's made up in our human nature, and it's made up in the very order of our lives. And so that's the moral law. It's just the natural law. Um, so talking about a good transition into this about faith and morals, because that's really like what the church teaches on is faith and morals. This is what Jesus gave the authority to the church to do is to teach on faith and morals. But the very root and the foundation of all that is covenant and family. So in the Old Testament, there were several covenants made. God would make covenants with people and also people would make covenants with people. And this would not be a contract where I give you a good and I get something in return. No, a covenant is a sacred family bond. So you become one with each other and you become family of each other. And so this is what it is in the life of the life of the church of faith and morals is we become family together and family members of God by grace. So in this covenant that Jesus gave to us in precisely in the Eucharist, the only time that Jesus says anything about the New Testament is when he's instituting it at the Last Supper. This is the blood of the New Testament. And testament is just a translation from Latin, testamentum. But the actual Greek and, uh, and the Hebrew that would have been used is covenant. So the covenant is the Eucharist. And so the but that's also meaning a sacred family bond between God and his people and us together. And so the root and the foundation is the family. And this is really beautiful, beautifully seen in just our society. We know that the family would not be a thing. Humans would not continue to, to grow and to flourish if it wasn't for family. Because family is a man and a wife coming together and loving each other, giving themselves fully to each other in this covenant as a family. And then they have children. And so God has also revealed himself in the new covenant precisely this, as him as the bridegroom and us as the bride and, and us also as children, him as the father. And so, and the church is the mother and also we have Mama Mary as our mother as well. And so we are this, this sacred family bond. We are brothers and sisters. This is why we believe in the communion of saints, communion of saints here on earth, communion of saints on purgatory and in heaven because we're all one family. And this sacred family bond, which is in the new covenant. And so that's the foundation that we have. And this is the life that we have of faith and morals is the covenant and family. And then the form and the life that we have is, is to be united in truth. And this is, again, what we talked about earlier. Jesus precisely prayed for in John 17. And this is so key because to be united in truth is, to not be united in truth is a scandal because Jesus said that I believe that they are one just as the father and Jesus are one so that the world may believe that the father sent Jesus. When we are divided, that is a direct uh, scandal to the life of God because because God himself, three persons in one, is perfectly united. He calls us to be united in love and the work of the devil is division. So what the devil did through sin and death and dividing us and hate, and us uh, being you know separated from each other, Jesus, the new Adam, he comes in to inaugurate, to be, to call in every single person here on, on, on this, this earth to be united and to be united in what? In truth. And this is what he says in, uh, at the, in his high priestly prayer that we would be consecrated in the truth. And so that's why Jesus gave us the church. And this is why St. Paul calls the church, the pillar and 
pillar and bulwark of truth because he wants us to be united in truth and also so that we never have to say, oh, I don't agree with the church and therefore I'm going to start my own church or go to another church because that is schism or it's heresy or it's just complete division and all three are bad. This is all three are actually used in the gospels as bad things. Jesus wants us to be united in truth and this is why we have the Pope and the bishops, not by their own doing, but by the grace of God and the promises of God so that we would never have to say, I wonder if I should leave the church. That will never be a thing. Humans can break things in in the church, but the church herself is perfectly united to Jesus and is the pillar and bulwark of truth. So we're united in truth, but we're also animated by love. And love is God himself, three persons in one again, pouring themselves out for each other, uh, to each other. And so by union of G- by union with Jesus and participating in God's divine life of love, our entire lives are animated by love, which is willing the good of another for the sake of other. It's not a feeling. It is not a feeling. It's great when we have those emotions and passions and feelings, and Jesus loves that. But it's also just a choosing to will the good of another. So the form in life is united in truth and animated by love which is the fulfilling of the law and is everything, right? This is what St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, is that faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. And this is the better way. This is if we have faith, if we have, we can speak in tongues, if we can prophesy, if we can heal, do miracles, mighty deeds, all these things are nothing if we do not have love. And so love is, is the life of the Christian. And then lastly, our purpose and destiny, the whole purpose of the Christian life And the whole purpose that God created us is created us and also came to redeem us is to lift us up and to be, to live in glorification, to live in divinization, not by our own nature, but by uh, his grace. And he'll actually lift up our humanity, our broken humanity, every single thing that we feel right now, even after becoming a Christian, it's continuing here and now living in this broken world. We have to live uh, by the Holy Spirit to put to mortify the deeds of the flesh, as St. Paul puts it in Romans 8.13, is to not live a life of the flesh, but to live a life in the spirit. But at the end of time, in the new creations, the new heaven and the new earth, God will fully redeem our humanity where we'll live body and soul and our humanity will no longer be filled with pride or division or jealousy or envy of, of other people or have hatred. We will not be tempted to those things. We will only see each other in the new heavens and the new earth permeated by love, which means that we're always going to be trying to out-honor each other. We're always going to be trying to seek each other's good. And so we will not be tempted into those things. So our bodies, our our humanity, our beautiful humanity that Jesus assumed to himself so that we could live in the in the divine life of God as love is to be glorified and divinized. And this is why we lift up Mary's because Jesus shows us in Mary what he's going to do in us, body and soul in the heaven. And just praying about and praying the rosary the other day, <clears throat> that fifth glorious mystery, it struck me that Mary in Revelation 12 is shown as the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. What does this show? Is that her body is clothed with the sun. Because the sun in the, in the very beginning in Genesis 1, the sun is what gave light, right? And this is the source of light that we have. And so she's clothed with the sun, which God himself is the sun. So she is clothed with the grace of her son, Jesus. She is clothed with that beautiful light, but she's also standing on top of the moon and a crown of 12 stars in her head. Well, if you go back to the first creation in Genesis one, the star and the moon were precisely to be light in the darkness. 
So these were the lesser lights at night. So when there was dark, we would still have this light. And so Mary, she is even, she's standing on top of the moon and she's crowned with 12 stars. And so in the new creation, while we're still here in this broken creation, she is the light in the darkness of the second creation, the new creation of the new heavens, the new earth that God promises us. And so Mary shows this beautiful example of the purpose and destiny of every single Christian by living a life in love with Jesus, in union with him and in intimacy with him is to be have its end of being glorified and divinized by God's divine life of love, just like Mary was. And so I hope this episode is really helpful for you. And I know I went into detail on quite a bit there, but it really was just to sum- summarize. Um, so take a screenshot of the show notes. Again, we talked about six points. First, our identity. What Jesus is by nature, we are by grace through faith. We talked about our faith life, the life of the church, such as the sacraments. It's all uh, typology. Everything in the Old Testament is fulfilled, revealed, and transformed in the new covenant. We talked about the moral life. All human actions have or are ordered towards a certain purpose and ends. We've talked about the root and the foundation of, of, of our Catholic faith of faith and morals is covenant and family. We talked about the form and the life that we have, which is to be united in truth and animated by love, which is by union with Jesus and a participation in God's divine life of love. And then lastly, our purpose and destination is exactly what we see in Mary, our glorification and divinization. So St. Paul says that even right now, we move from glory to glory. And St. John in 1 John 3, 2, he says that we shall be like Jesus because we will see him as he is. He's talking about the end of times. But even now, we gaze at Jesus in intimacy. By living a life of the Holy Spirit, the veil is removed, as St. Paul puts it. The veil is removed, and now what was the shadow in the old now is revealed and transformed in the new covenant to live from glory to glory as sons and daughters of God. 